0: Oh my God.
1: Okay, here's another one. Jesus Christ. And trust me, I used the PG version of that expression. Did that make you cringe? Did you immediately think, what's gotten into this woman? I don't blame you one bit. We'll get back to that for now. Please follow with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time of meeting with us. Your word assures us that we're two or more I gathered in your name. You shall be amongst them. For that we know that you are with each and every one of us wherever we are because you are a God who exists outside of the confines of time and location. And for this we feel honored. We feel so lucky and blessed. We have the privilege to meet with an almighty God, our very own heavenly father. You are the creator and the ruler of all things, seen and unseen. Your authority is supreme. You are the perfect picture of power. You still sit on the highest throne. Many have tried to dethrone you and have failed. You are conqueror. You remain the most high God. And yet you call me your child. You call me your friend. You tell me you love me. You sent your one and only son to die for me. Thank you, my king. We praise your beautiful name and we lift you up on high. We glorify you and your powerful name for when we call on your name we receive strength with your name we receive healing we diminish doubt we drive out darkness with your name we bless each other and light up the whole world wide we appreciate the holy precious name which we pray in the name of our lord and savior jesus christ amen hello people's family my name is Goni Maswanganyi and I have the honor to welcome you all to our weekly Church at Home online service as we fellowship today. If you are joining us for the first time, please know that we're excited to have you. Please click on, on the link in the description box and fill in the welcome card so we can get to know you better. In my introduction, I shocked you with two exclamations that are popular terms used casually in the 21st century, also portrayed on TV and movies. To make it worse, society has found a way to use Holy Christ and God damn it as phrases of venting in a moment of cursing. Every time I hear this, I wonder if we still know God. No, I mean it. Do we really know who God is? Who Jesus is? People won't let you diss in the name of their mamas, but will turn around and blaspheme the holy name of God. When we really ask God to reveal Himself to us, we move past the acknowledgement of His power for what He can give us or the fear of committing a sin that will end us up in hell when we really ask God to reveal himself to us, we step into a place of reverence, which is a deep respect that activates that part in us that is intimidated by the fact that we even know of such a mind-blowing existence. I couldn't possibly start to explain this in a few sentences, but I will say this. The Bible is packed with, with texts that reveals God. Who he is, how he is, what he wants and what he does not want. Don't sit on and allow social norms to make you blunt to who your God is. Change the channel and change your feed. The book of Psalms, chapter 1, verse 1 to 3 reads as follows. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves will never wither and they prosper in all they do. Coming up after this, we have an empowering sermon which will be taught by Pastor Monli Trele. This will be preceded by an encouraging offering message. And seeing as it's the first Sunday of the month, will also have Communion. For now, let us join together in praise to worship our Sovereign Lord.
2: Oh before you
0: Hello, once again. So good to be with you today. Uh, This morning, I just have a short word of encouragement concerning giving. And for that, I'm going to read from the book of Ezra, chapter 2, verses 68 to 69. And it says, All the people arrived at the place in Jerusalem where the Lord's temple would be rebuilt. Then some of the leaders of the families brought offerings they chose to give. They would be used for rebuilding the house of God. It would stand in the same place it had been before. The people gave money for the work it was based on how much they had and so i just have three uh, quick things to just highlight on this portion of scripture first one is this that they chose to give this was not out of uh, compulsion they were not compelled they were not forced to give but they chose this is something that we also call free will offerings and so they were not forced to give but they chose and they gave willingly. And I don't believe that God will ever force anyone to give when it comes to giving towards his work. He doesn't use those means and those tactics. And I believe it is for this reason. It is because giving... To God's work is not an obligation, but it is a privilege. It is an honor and a privilege for us to be able to give towards God's work. Second thing to note is that it was based on how much they had. They gave in proportion to how much they had and so we don't believe for an example we don't believe that equal giving is the biblical standard when it comes to giving because that simply would not work since we each have different abilities and resources so equal giving is not the standard when it comes to giving in the bible but we believe that equal sacrifice is the biblical standard when it comes to giving towards God's work. We each give in proportion to how much God has blessed us, to the kind of resources that God has blessed us with the scripture says each leader gave as much as he could and also they were not forced so God does not just look at the size of the offering at the size of the thing that you are giving but he looks at the heart of sacrifice that is behind the offering and while that for the person who has many resources that might seem unfair for a person with little resources that is liberating that you know it gives us uh, that sense that God sees and values what we give regardless of how big or how small it is because it means that if a person has little to give God does not frown upon their offering if it is given generously and sacrificially and so the third thing to note is that It it says they would be used for rebuilding the house of God. And so what basically had happened here is that God had miraculously made a way for the Jews to be able to return from exile and to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, which was completely ruined. this point in time and so that was the vision that God gave and it was a massive vision a vision which needed lots of resources to be able to carry out and here we see that the leaders of the families they got together and they gave willingly as they were able towards the vision that God had provided and it leads me to this great truth that God gives the vision and God's people bring the provision and it is such a a liberating thought it's such a powerful thought that God when God gives a vision for what he wants his people to do he gives us the honor and the privilege to be able to bring the the provision that will that will result in that vision being realized that vision being carried out and it is such a privilege for us to be able to give towards God's vision And somehow, you know, it is very interesting. Somehow, this is the method that God has chosen to use for centuries when it comes to supporting his work. He has chosen to give people that opportunity, that privilege to be able to give. He doesn't just drop money from the sky, but he gives us the privilege to give. And so we each have a choice. We can choose to either give reluctantly or grudgingly, or we can choose to give joyfully. But God wants us, each and every one of us, to give with a joyful heart. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord God, for the honor and privilege that you invite us to be partners with you in what you are doing through bringing the provision, through bringing our gifts through bringing our offerings towards what you are doing. We thank you, Father. We pray that you help us to be able to use the resources to further your mission, to further your kingdom in a way that glorifies your name. We thank you for all this in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So the banking details uh, for the church are going to be on the screen right now. God bless you as you give faithfully.
2: Good morning, People's Church. Welcome to our communion time. This is the time where we remember what the Lord Jesus has done for us. And it's ironic that sometimes this is where people tend to want to reflect on how we fall short, or how we undeserving we are, Sometimes people self-condemn in this time and feel that they are not worthy to to take communion. And what I find interesting is in the book of Psalms, Psalms 130, this does not have much to do with communion but just how God looks at us. And the psalmist, the, the author of this book says, in Psalms 130, verse 3, it says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? The author says, If if God were to keep records, were to keep accounts of our wrongdoing, who could stand? And the simple answer is no one. No one actually can come to God with a slate and said here I am, my record is clean because we could not achieve that and that is the whole point of communion. We get to remember that there was another who stood in the gap for us when we could not do it ourselves because all our good deeds, all our righteous deeds, all our deeds that we thought could save us were not good enough. Therefore, we come together to remember what the Lord Jesus has done for us. We do this as often as possible so that they could be that constant reminder that, look, we were not worthy. We can never bring our deeds because no one's deeds can ever be good enough. So God is not looking at us, counting our mistakes, counting our sins, marking our records of wrong. That is not what he's doing. It, 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 he continues to says, he says, but there is forgiveness with you. There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared, that we may revere him. Forgiveness can only be found in him, not in our efforts to be better. So I would like to encourage you this morning that let us always look back. I know that During this time, we could be thinking, I've fallen short here. I fell short this morning. I fell short yesterday. During these times where people are isolated, they tend to want to crawl into their corners where what they have done, all their wrongdoing, all their sin is confronting them. But I would like you to remember, I would like to remind you this morning that God is not keeping your records of wrong. Come back to Him. As you draw close to Him, you will get that assurance that indeed what Jesus has done for you is enough.
0: God bless you. Hi, church. We hope you are all doing well. I'd like to personally invite you to our next in-person Sunday or Wednesday church gatherings. We understand that safety is a priority for most people right now. And I can assure you that we are taking all the necessary precautions to make sure that you and your family will be safe before, during, and after the church gathering. So, here are some of the things that you can expect at any of our in person church gatherings. Upon arrival, you'll be greeted by our fantastic check in managers who will scan your temperature and make sure that you have filled in the COVID 19 declaration form. To ensure a smooth and contactless check-in experience, we ask that you uh, pre-book your seat online and also fill in the COVID-19 declaration form prior to your arrival at church. If you are also signing up for other members of your family, make sure that you have filled in the COVID-19 declaration form for each member of your family. As you enter the auditorium, uh, one of our ushers is going to help you to find your seat. Now, our seats have been spaced out to allow for a safe physical distance between you and those that are around you. But you also have the option of sitting next to your family members and your loved ones. We ask that you kindly keep your face mask on, covering both your nose and your mouth throughout the time that you will be on the church premises. Because your safety and the safety of those that are around you is one of our top priorities. And lastly, as awesome as Church at Home has been, We know and we can assure you that it cannot compare to an in-person church gathering. So I cannot wait to see you on our next church gathering. Take care and God bless you. So good morning. Good to see you or to have you again. It is my very uh, great privilege and honor to be able to bring God's word uh, to church at home again this morning. And so the title of my message today is that you are invited. And I don't know about you, but I love invitations, invitations to all different sorts of events. I love, you know, being invited to things. Uh, Right now, I want us to just think about, you know, the people or a person that you absolutely admire in life. Someone who's really and truly great, it can be the founder or the CEO of the company that you are currently working for, or it could be a celebrity or a public figure, someone who is doing real good work for the world. So one of the pe- those kinds of people right now in the science and technology space is Elon Musk. So that could be the person for you. For someone else, it could be Oprah. You know, for someone else, it could be Tony Robbins, Patrice Motsepe, Aliko Tangote, Jeff Bezos, or such people. Now, I want you to imagine that you get a personal invitation to a dinner that is hosted by that person, all expenses paid. What would your response be? How would you respond to that kind of invitation? Jesus in Luke chapter 14 tells a fascinating parable signifying how there is an invitation that is a million times better than the one you, have, you and I have just thought about in our minds and how many people are just re- replying or responding to that message with thanks but no thanks. The chapter opens with Jesus at the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees and it appears that he is invited to something that would be an equivalent to a Sunday after church lunch. It also appears that Jesus is not one of those guests, who, those polite guests who go out of their way not to say or do anything that would embarrass their host. Because the first thing Jesus does is to heal a man in that, uh, in that house, knowing very well that it was a Sabbath day, and that his host and many of the guests that were invited would actually take serious offense at that action. Then, after that, he notices how many of the guests were shuffling for the best seat at the table. I assume that's the seat that is just next to or close to the host. And anyone who is normal, you know, anyone, anyone else would have thought, "I've probably stirred the waters enough for one day. Let me just keep quiet and let this one pass." But not Jesus. He then turns to the guests. And gives them advice right there and then. And advises them how they should rather pick the lowest seats at the table. So that later when the host comes, he can elevate them to a better seat. And that they will be honored in the presence of all the other guests that are invited. And the people are surely now thinking that Jesus is going to take his seat. the DJ is going to continue playing, you know, the music. And then everything is going to go back to normal. But Jesus remains standing. Then he turns to the host who invited him, and he has a piece of advice for him as well. He says, the next time you host a dinner, don't just invite your friends and family, you know, because they will invite you back and then you will be repaid. You should rather invite people who will never be able to pay you back so that you will have a reward at the resurrection of the righteous. And at this point, the room went completely dead silent. You could hear a pin drop at the neighbor's house. Someone tried to break the silence. I don't know, have you ever been in a situation that is so tense that you would say just about anything to divert the conversation? So listen to this in in Luke chapter 14, verse 15. It says, When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. It's almost as if Jesus says, Funny you should say that because he, he turns to this man and he responds to him with a parable starting in verse, in verse 16. He says, A man once gave a, a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. Let's just pause there for a moment. Have you ever prepared a, a large feast for something that, that was very significant or very important in your life? It could have been, you know, the a birthday of your, of one of your children. or It could have been a graduation celebration or something similar. You know, you hardly slept the night before because of all the preparations that needed to be made. You've pulled down all the curtains and got them washed. You probably even painted the room in preparation for this great celebration. Your hands have that annoying balloon smell from all the balloons that you've inflated and then on the morning of the day you send out whatsapp reminders on the morning to to everyone who has been invited to to remind them that today is that they come you know the celebration is today and then every single person gives a lame excuse why they can't come how would you feel you'd probably feel insulted you definitely you'd definitely be offended You know, you'd feel hurt, you'd feel angry, and you'd even swear that those people are not your friends because friends simply don't do something like like this to their friends. So now let's take a look at their excuses. It says, the first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Wait, wait, wait. You know, let's just think about this for a moment. Let's just contextualize it to what it may look like or sound like in our modern-day context. Someone might say, I just closed a a business deal, you know, or, or a deal on this new property I was eyeing, and I need to go and see it and check it out. Please excuse me. Wait, wait, like what? You know, that kind of excuse Surely if you closed a deal on a property, you would have been able to see it before. Another person might say, my business is expanding. I just bought five new printing machines that I have to go test. Please excuse me. Then a newlywed couple or a person who's just been recently married, they come and they say, I just got married. And you say, so? And they say, I'm so sorry, I cannot come. So it continues to say, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, None of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. And so today, I just want to focus on three things from this passage of Scripture. Then I'll be done. The first is the invitation. The second is the response. And the third is the call. Firstly, the invitation. So basically, the great banquet in this parable represents the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a vast uh, subject. It is a vast concept for us to be able to understand, and it has many aspects to it. It is one of the central themes in the entire Bible, from the Old Testament to the New. But in a nutshell, I would summarize it this way, that the kingdom of God is how God is restoring all things to how they were intended to be originally. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God is how God is restoring all things to how they were originally intended So one of the most uh, important or primary aspects in the kingdom of God is that of the reconciliation between God and mankind. You see, God originally created mankind to enjoy intimate relationship with him. We get a glimpse of that relationship in the Garden of Eden, in the book of Genesis, the first three chapters particularly. So we get a glimpse of how God had a very close and intimate relationship with the man that he created. And later he created the woman as well, and they enjoyed close relationship and fellowship. And they talked face to face like one would talk to their friends. You know, there was nothing hidden between them in their relationship. It was a close and intimate relationship. But all of that was brought to an end when sin entered the equation. You and I today don't really need much convincing to know that there is something deeply wrong with the world. Just think about things such as greed, anger, violence, bloodshed, Think about wars, corruption, death, suffering, and pain. All these things are clear indications that something is deeply wrong with the world, that something went wrong somewhere with the world. The fact is that this is not how God created the world to be from the beginning. This is a result of our desire to be our own God and to live life, In our own terms. Listen to this in Genesis chapter 3 verse 4 to 5. It says. But the serpent said to the woman. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it. Speaking about the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says. For God knows that when you eat of it. Your eyes will be opened. And you will become like God. Knowing good and evil. So most of the problems we see in our world right now are as a direct result or direct consequence to us wanting to be our own God, wanting to live life in our own terms, to decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, instead of trusting upon God's definition of those categories. Now when Adam and Eve took an ate from the tree of the fruit, from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree which God specifically told them not to eat from. Immediately, there was separation between God and mankind, between God and them because of their sin and rebellion that they have just committed. And this made us incapable of having a relationship with God. And their unlimited access to the very presence uh, of God was uh, seized at that very moment because they were banished and they were removed from the Garden of Eden. But the good news is this, that from that moment, God has been at work to restore all things to the way he he created them to be initially or originally. And Jesus, as he steps into the pages of history, In the New Testament, he steps in to offer and provide the solution to the problems created by sin. Listen to how John the Baptist describes Jesus one of the first moments he saw him. This is found in John chapter 1 verse 29. It says, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so this is this was Jesus' mission here on earth. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he was not dying for his own sins, but he was dying for the sins of all of humanity, of all of mankind. His death on the cross was to make the total forgiveness of our sins and the reconciliation between God and mankind possible. His death on the cross was to undo the results of our sins and disobedience, which started... All the way in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve chose to listen to the snake and disobey God by eating the fruit that God had told them not to eat from. And Jesus' death and resurrection are the very door into the kingdom of God. In Revelation chapter 21, we get a very compelling snippet of the time when the kingdom of God will be fully established. If you read Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 to 4, this is what it says. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall they be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is a picture of God's kingdom in its fullness, that God will again live together with his people. He will be their God, and they will be his people. There will no longer be any separation between God and his people. That relationship will have been restored in in the fullness of the kingdom of God. And he will also undo all the results of sin in the rest of creation. It says death will be no more. You know, there will be no more mourning or crying. There will be no more pain or sorrow. He will wipe away every tear. From our eyes, the kingdom of God is the greatest thing that you and I have ever heard of. And the good news is that you and I are personally invited to it. Second thing I want to touch on is the response. Our passage continues to say that at uh, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. Think about that for a moment. They all alike began to make excuses. Here's a very important thing that you and I need to know. There are only two possible kinds of responses to God's invitation. One is acceptable and one is completely unacceptable. One is a good response and the other one is a bad response to God's invitation. You know, Tim Keller is credited with coming up with the phrase or the term uh, to be middle class in spirit. In his writing, he first uh, offers the definition of being middle class in spirit by contrasting it to what it means to be poor in spirit. So he first says that to be poor in spirit means seeing that you are deeply in debt before God. And you have no ability to even begin to redeem yourself. God's free generosity to you at infinite cost to him was the only thing that saved you. That is what it means to be poor. In spirit, on the other hand, to be middle class in spirit means you believe that God owes you some things. He ought to enter your prayers and to bless you for the many good things that you have done. Even though the Bible doesn't use the term, by inference, we can say that you are middle class in spirit. You feel that you've earned a certain standing with God through your hard work. You also may believe that the success and the resources you have are primarily due to your own industry. And energy, and so there are only two potential responses that you and I can give in response to God's invitation. Now, let us turn to Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 to 18. And keep uh, Tim Keller's uh, uh, definitions in mind. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 to 18. This is Jesus himself talking. He says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eyes of that you may see. And so here Jesus talks about three potential states that one can be in. The first is to be cold. This is basically living as if there is no God, not caring, you know, one bit about who God is and what does he have to say about you and life. A second state is to be hot. It says. Total commitment and enthusiasm that comes from the realization that one is totally dependent on and desperately in need of God. And the third potential state is to be lukewarm, to be in between. This is the wishy-washy kind of commitment that comes from thinking you have a need of nothing, that you are self-sufficient, that you are fine all by yourself. And therefore, you just give that wishy-washy kind of commitment, lukewarm commitment to God. And Jesus has very strong things to say about a person who's lukewarm. He says, I would even rather, I would even choose that you either be hot or even cold because I I cannot take, I cannot tolerate a person who's wishy-washy. If you continue in this state, I will vomit you out of my mouth. This is, these are the strong things that Jesus has to say about that kind of person. So, as I have mentioned, that there's only two potential ways of responding to God's invitation. Either we realize that we are indeed poor in spirit and are desperately in need of God. We need God's forgiveness. We need to get right and to get back into relationship with God. The other one, the other way, is every kind of response. Every kind of response that you can think about from lukewarm to cold, that is the other Um, That is the other response, which is absolutely offensive to God and absolutely unacceptable. So the question that remains to be answered is this. How much are you and I willing to give up in order to be part of God's kingdom? Don't hear me wrong. I'm not talking about payment or an entrance fee into the kingdom of God. What I'm talking about is a demonstration of the value that you place on being part of God's kingdom. What you are willing to sacrifice and the sacrifice that you are willing to incur to be part of God's kingdom. How much are you willing to sacrifice to be part of God's kingdom? And if your answer is something other than I am willing to give up absolutely everything to be part of God's kingdom. If your response is anything other than that, then, then that response is simply not good enough. You, know, you are not fit to become a follower of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, the very next teaching in Luke 14 talks about counting the cost because there is a cost to be counted. There is a cost to be incurred to be able to be part of God's kingdom. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus simply says this, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so the third thing I want to touch on is the call. After the, the servant responds and gets back to the master to give him feedback on, on the responses that, uh, that the people that were initially invited gave, he was angry. And he said, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. That my house may be filled. It's interesting if you study that little word that is translated compel, it, ha- it has the following range of meanings and uses to necessitate, to force, to compel, to constrain, to urge. You see, we are not to use shady or deceptive means to bring people into God's kingdom, but we are to make a considerable effort to get each and every person to accept the invitation because it is really foolish to do otherwise. It is foolish to let this opportunity pass you by. It is foolish to say no to this invitation. And so we are to compel people to accept this offer of salvation. In conclusion, I just want to talk to two categories of people. The first person is a person who has not yet accepted or responded to this invitation. And there are many reasons why people have never responded to the invitation. But if that is you, I would like to give you the opportunity to respond right now. The message is clear. The servant says, come for everything is now ready you are invited into the kingdom of heaven into the kingdom of god so the question is what will your response be are you going to make some sort of excuses why you can't come now or are you going to get up right away and make your way to the kingdom to the celebration my honest prayer is that you would get up right away and make your way to the party because I believe with all my heart that there is no excuse for making any excuse not to accept the offer. salvation and all you have to do is to say yes to jesus is to allow him into your life is to make him the lord and savior of your life and don't allow or let the fear of what other people are going to think or even say about you to deter you or prevent you from accepting this invitation the master says "Come." The time has come, come for everything is now ready. And if you recognize your desperate need for God's forgiveness and God's acceptance and God's salvation, you can pray to God. Pray right now and say, God, today I say yes to Jesus. I thank you for what you have done to make the total forgiveness of my sins possible. I thank you for making it possible for me to be reconciled back to you. And today, I lay my life in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. And if that is you, welcome to the family of God. I am excited. This is the best decision you could ever make. And the second category of people is everyone else who has already responded, who has already accepted, who has already said yes to the invitation, who has already RSVP'd. You know, for you, I have a challenge. I have something for you that I would like you to do. And and as I already mentioned, when the servants reported back to the master, all the excuses that those who uh, who were initially invited said, the master was deeply insulted. But this is the thing that he did. He turned that insult, he turned that anger into generosity and an opportunity for many who were not initially invited to get an opportunity to be partakers. Of the great banquet He says go out into the highways And the hedges and compel People to come in That my house may be filled The master's desire The master's commitment is to His house being filled And God's desire is that His kingdom may be full And so this coming week I'm challenging you And my challenge to you is to invite Just three people who don't normally Come to church to come For those of us who can invite more than three, that's fine. But for the rest of us, let it not be any less than three. You know, invite people, so come to church. And we have created some digital resources to help you as you invite people. And so you can click the invitation resources link on the the episode description if you are watching from YouTube or Facebook, or there's a link on your screen if you're watching from Church Center. Those are some of the resources that you can use as you invite people to come to church. And remember, we are to do everything in our power to convince people to come because There is no excuse for making any excuse not to accept the offer of salvation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for everything that you have already done. We thank you, Father God, that you have invited us. We thank you for this great and unimaginable invitation that you invite us to be part of your kingdom you invite us to be part of what you are doing as you restore all things to be the way you had originally and initially created them to be father today lord we thank you so much and we recognize that it is really foolish to say no it is foolish to pass up on this opportunity pray father for everyone who has made a decision today to follow you to accept this offer and this invitation i pray lord god that you may be with them that you may protect them that you may grow them that you may mature them in their spiritual walk with you and that you may use them lord in what you are doing in in your work that you are doing on the world today we thank you so much father and we honor you and we pray lord that you help us to be able to respond well to you to be able to live lives that glorify your name to live lives father god that help you to be able to achieve the objective and the work that you are doing in the world and we pray, Father, as we go out, as we invite even more people to come into your kingdom, that you be with us, that you help us by your Holy Spirit, Father, to be able to have the right things to say, to be able to, uh, to have answers to the questions. And most importantly, we pray that more people may come to hear and to be a part of your kingdom because you are committed to your house and to your kingdom being full. We thank you and honor you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hi. My name is Monty Thane and together with my wife we pastor People's Church. I'm so glad that you chose to join us online today and I pray that God uses this resource to make you more and more like His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's important to note that these kinds of resources are never meant to replace the need for you to belong to a local church congregation where you are led and shepherded, a place where you can use your gifts and your resources to make a positive impact on the lives of the people around you. This is only meant to supplement and not substitute them. And lastly, I would like to ask you, if these resources have been of benefit to you, would you kindly consider giving to People's Church? This is so that we can continue to invest in technologies that help us and enable us to increase our reach and spread the message of Jesus Christ even wider and to even more people. For ways to do that, you can go to our website and click on the Giving tab and you'll see ways to be able to give. Now, once again, thank you so much for joining us today. Take care and God bless you.
1: And man, was that an empowering message. Thank you so much, Pastor Monty. To everybody, thank you for joining in with us for a time of fellowship. Have a blessed Sunday and an amazing week.